Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Morning. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here, the teaching pastor. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. I'll be here um, after our time together, so I'd love to, love to have you come up and meet. All right. Uh, if you have your Bible there near you, grab it. Turn to Exodus chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there near you in the pew. Exodus chapter Five, we're working through the book of Exodus as a church, and so we'll continue into, into chapter five. If you don't know where that is, that's fine. Genesis is the first book you'll find in the Bible. Right after that is Exodus. And as you're turning to chapter five, let me get us all on the same page. If you haven't been with us or if you've missed a, a week or here, two here or there, um, let, let's get on the, on the same page from where we've been over the last weeks. Here's what's happened. The people of God, the people of, of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt. They're, they're being treated harshly under an, an evil king, enslaved under an evil king. They are um, there and God ha- has seen that, that he's seen their affliction and Moses has been approached by God. One, one of God's people has been approached by God and sent with his brother Aaron to go to Pharaoh to ask that the people be let go, that they would be given freedom. And Moses is reluctant to say the, the least. In fact, um, it, we, we have talked about this over the last weeks, but he, he's uh, really reluctant to go. But he goes back to Egypt nonetheless with Aaron, his brother. And Aaron tells the elders of the people of Israel what is going to go down. So he communicates to the people what is going to happen. He shows them the signs that God has given to Moses, the, the staff that turns into a snake and the leprous hand that is healed, those signs, he shows them those. And we're told in the very last verses of Exodus chapter 4, which we went through last week, that the people believed. That the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited, the people believed. When, the, when they had heard that the Lord had come to be with them, had visited them, the people of Israel, when they had heard those things and seen that the Lord had, had seen their affliction, they were told they worshipped God. The people believed and worshipped God. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but this is, this is a turning point in the story for the people of God, the people of Israel. Up until this point, they had not gathered corporately to worship their God. They're in the process of turning toward and believing in this God. And we see from last week in chapter 4 that they worshiped God. They believed and worshiped God. Now that's where we left off last week. If you would now look at Exodus chapter 5, we're going to read the entire chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 5, see the flow of the story. And and here's what I want to remind us. You you all know this probably, but I want to remind you of this. This is God's Word, okay? We're not in this place where we're reading some neat stories. They are neat, but it's not just that. This is the very Word of God. In fact, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that 
that as we read together, we remind one another of that truth. We'll read a passage of Scripture, and at the end of that, I'll say, this is the Word of God, and you all will, will respond, thanks be to God. We're, we're thankful that God has given us His very Word. Now, I know that some of you come from traditions, maybe where, where that's a, a normal part of the flow of the time together, that the Word is read, and then, and then you repeat this sort of liturgical and traditional thing together. There are also some with us, that, that would see that have come from traditions where they've dismissed that as, as too repetitive. And, and I can see both sides, but I think it's good for us to hear the repetitive nature of the very truth that this is, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And we should be thankful that we have been given the Word of God. And so it's good for us to hear that in, in, the, in the repetitive nature that's there. Okay, So Exodus chapter 5, let me read the entire thing. You, you can listen as I read, follow along in your Bibles, and then we'll, we'll uh, begin to work. All right, here's what it says. Afterward, we'll get to, to how that all comes together here in a second. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. 
but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means, re- you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. This is God's Word. Amen. This is a story of belief meeting unbelief. It's a story of belief meeting unbelief. And all of that swirling together into a confusing mess of battling to hold on to faith. Have you been there? Belief meeting unbelief, and all of that sort of swirling together, not knowing where that hits, and you battling to hold on to faith. Where things are moving in the right direction, from your perspective, they're moving in the right direction. You've experienced the presence of God, or what you think is the the presence of God. You sense that He knows your affliction. He, He knows your pain. He knows your hurts. He knows your sadness. He knows your brokenness. And you believe. You, you sense his presence. You know that he, he, he knows your brokenness and you believe. You truly believe. You, you truly believe. And then circumstances change. And, and often in the midst of those circumstances, your view of God's presence, at least from your perspective, becomes limited. And, and, then, and then becomes more and, and more limited. And as your view of God's presence, your view of God's presence and plan becomes limited, your belief begins to shift to unbelief. And your unbelief begins to take you to a place of seeking help or finding help or pursuing help from people, from things, from identity. Identity in someone Identity in something other than God. You've certainly been there, right? You've been there. Maybe that's where you are right now. Where your circumstances, whatever that is, your job, your health, your, the health of someone you love, failing. Relationships around you crumbling. Maybe you're struggling through the very real the very real hurts of depression and ongoing anxiety. Maybe you, you don't actually know what's wrong, but you know that you're in a funk. You just, you just feel that. And, and instead of being drawn into a deeper belief in God, you find yourself to be stagnant and dry. Really in a season of, if you could pull way back and see, really in a season of unbelief. And I don't mean to sound overly simplistic here to, to make just smooth this over, but really isn't that the Christian life? 
Right, the, the ups and downs of, of belief and unbelief and trying to figure that all out. This is the battle of belief in a world that has no leaning toward belief in anything other than self. This is the constant battle against unbelief. And we see this very battle in Exodus 5 throughout. It's woven through. We see belief that crumbles into unbelief. We see also, we see blatant, but, but honest, blatant, but honest unbelief. And we see the effects and the consequences of both. In the midst of a world affected by sin and the consequences of sin, our enemy wants nothing more than our unbelief. Unbelief in a God who is powerful and deserves our worship. And can I remind us again, something we've talked about time and time again in the book of Exodus, that, that in the book of Exodus, the point of freedom, the point of redemption, the point of a, a people being saved out of the hand of Pharaoh is that they would worship God. That's the point. The point of their release is not to just live the life they wanted to live, but the point of their release is so that they could worship God, saved from slavery to worship. When God is at work freeing a people, He is freeing them from slavery to sin to serve Him. God's desire is to free us from a life of unbelief to a life of belief, and not just belief as an end. So hear that, not just a belief, uh, belief as an end, but belief in God so that we would worship that God. The problem of unbelief is not only that it pulls us away from believing, but the problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping. I want us to catch that. So I want, I want, I want to say that again, and I want us to hear that, and I, I want to explain it if it doesn't make sense, because we're going to see that throughout. The problem of unbelief is not only that it pulls us away from believing, but the problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping. So often we think, oh, I'm in this funk. If I could only believe, if my faith would only be better. And we lean on other people and we say, if you're, you, you, the way that the, the reason you're in these problems is because your, your faith is failing. Your, your belief is, is shifting. And, and I want to put in front of us that that is not the only thing that we ought to be looking at. What God wants of us is for us to be worshiping Him. It's not just unbelief as the problem. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping God. So chapter five begins, Afterward, right? That, that's the very first word. After the people bowed and worshiped God. That's where we're coming from, from chapter four. After the people bowed and worshiped God, Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and, and he, they begin to talk to him. Now I want to stop right there and I want to point out something that, that may not be explicit here, but, but I don't, I don't want to miss it. It's not a huge deal, but it's something I think we've got to keep in mind. If we remember back a chapter, Moses opposed God. So not chapter 4, but, but, but beyond that, Moses opposed God in at least five ways, not least of which was the time when he told God, find someone else to go. 
Find someone else. Not not me, find someone else. But as Moses and Aaron have gathered now with the elders to tell them God's plan, here's what happens. The elders believed and the people bowed and worshipped God. And when that happened, something seems to change. Because Moses is coming from a place of, no, 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 not me, God. That's not me. That's not the person you want there. I'm, I'm not that one. Five oppositions from Moses to God. Five ways that he's saying, not, not the case, God. That's not the plan. But when they tell the elders and the elders believe and the people worship God, something seems to change. Moses and Aaron believe as well, don't they? They were encouraged by the belief of the people and the worship of God. Their belief in God leads them to, to worship God, move them, moved Aaron and Moses to courage to be obedient to God. We can't, we can't take that too lightly, that they gathered with the people of God and the people of God worshiped God and Moses and Aaron had this thought of, wow, okay, well, let's do this. Let, let's go. Isn't that what often happens when we gather with the people of God in the discipline of community and the overflow of worship? What happens? Often, courage that leads to worshipful obedience. But in isolation, we begin to look inward, right? Together with the community of God, we're encouraged to move forward in worshipful obedience. But so quickly, we begin to forget this. And as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.25, we neglect to meet together and encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. And we drift from the worship of God and community with others. And in that, our courage begins to fade and our obedience begins to drift. We're told that Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Or in other words, these are the direct words from God to you, Pharaoh. And what are those words? What are those words? Here's what they are. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Let my people go that they may celebrate, that they may worship me. Now, this is a, a typical bargaining tactic in this day, because remember what Moses was told, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. There, there's freedom in mind. This is a typical bargaining tactic in this day. The person would, asking for the favor would start off small in hopes that they would be able to ramp that up over time. And, and so as the reader, we know, looking in, that Moses is not asking for a holiday in the mountains, Right? He's asking for something more than that. Hey, hey, could you give us a few days off here? Got jury duty. I'm gonna. That's not what he's asking. God's going to free his people. We know that from the outside. Moses and Aaron have a deep belief that God is going to keep his promises. They start off small. God is going to be with them. God is going to free his people. God is going to use their words to Pharaoh to free an entire people from slavery. Moses and Aaron move toward the brutal, harsh king of Egypt who has been seen by, who is seen as a, a god by his nation. He, he's deity. That, that takes courage, doesn't it? To, to move in that direction. That takes belief that God is who he says he is. That takes uh, belief in the Lord, the God. That takes deep belief. And how is their belief met? It, it's met with unbelief. Sincere Right? It's sincere and honest unbelief. Look at verse 2. I want us to see what Pharaoh says. 
Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. At least you're being honest. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. That's sincere unbelief. Sincerely saying, I don't even know know the Lord. That's honest unbelief, asking good and right questions. But his questions are not so that he could understand. We've got to understand that, right? He's not saying, I don't know who the Lord is. Could you please talk to me about him? He's saying, I don't know who this Lord is, and I'm not going to bend in his direction. I don't even know who this is. He's making statements of honest unbelief in this God. Who's the Lord? Why should I obey a God I don't believe exists? I don't know that Lord, and I'm not letting the people go. That's unbelief, and it smacks right up against the deep belief of Moses and Aaron who have just walked in, doesn't it? They've come away from a gathering of the elders, all of them believing that God is for them. They've come away from this gathering where all of the people have now worshipped that God. And now that belief meets head-on unbelief. And not only in, not, not some insignificant unbelief, unbelief from, from a powerful king who is seen as a God in Egypt. Unbelief. Now listen, that's not unlike the unbelief that we have all had at some point, is it? Who is this God? We've all been there at some point. And maybe some of you in the room this morning are in a similar place of unbelief. In a similar place of unbelief. And you wouldn't say it in the same kinds of ways, but you're asking the questions to make a statement about your unbelief in God. Who is this God? Who is this God that I should do anything that he says and and if you're not moving in that direction you're you're at least exhibiting that in in the ways that you live we've all been there I, i don't know that god and really i don't believe that that god exists and if that god exists why would i do anything that that god is asking of me you may be there right now and if that's where you are can i ask a sincere question why is that your position I'm not looking for an answer. Don't, don't shout it out. But I want you to sincerely consider it. Why do you lean in the direction of not believing that God exists? I ask that sincerely, and I'd love for you to consider that question sincerely. Pleading with you, actually. To consider that question Sincerely, In fact, if you'd be interested to get together, I'd love to hear um, your perspective on that question. But at the same time, I'm also compelled to ask you to consider that God does, in fact, exist. And that He loves you. And that He desires to have a relationship with you. That that God does exist compelled to communicate that with you would you consider that as well as you ask that question now think about think about this if you were Moses and Aaron for all of us if you were Moses and Aaron and and the Egyptian king who is a god has just stood in opposition to your god and, and to obeying what god has asked what would you do 
If you were Moses or Aaron, and you've just presented this to, to an Egyptian king who thinks he's God, who believes he's God, and, and that, that king stood in opposition to your God and obeying to what God has asked, what would you do? I, I think I know what I would do, and here's what I would probably do. I would probably back down. Thanks for your time. I'm out, right? That, uh, that's what I would do. Ne- never mind. Just was floating something past you. I think I would, I would not have the kind of courage needed to keep pushing forward. But we get to verse 3, and we see Moses and Aaron come back a bit stronger. They say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. The God of the Hebrews has, has met with us, has come to us. He, he's come to us personally. Let us go three days into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, so that we would be able to worship God, Moses and Aaron show their seriousness about obeying God. They say, if we don't obey, if we don't obey and leave Egypt to worship God, God will come after us. He'll come after us. This is serious, Pharaoh. The the obedience that God is asking of us is, is serious. Their belief in God is driving them toward obeying and worshiping that same God. I'll say it again. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping and obeying God. Pharaoh's captivity of the people is prohibiting them from worshiping God. And the reason he is not allowing them to go is because of a deep unbelief. Or or we could say it positively, because of a belief in himself. The problem of unbelief is not only that it pulls us away from believing. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from the worship of God. Pharaoh's captivity of this people is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of worship, the worship of this one true God. This is serious. And so Pharaoh responds with more unbelief. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5. Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Why do you take the people away from their service to me? They need to get back to their work. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron, there are a lot of you, and it is because of you that I'm able to get so much built around here, but you are keeping them from their work with this nonsense talk about leaving this is a threat to Pharaoh. So think about this. Think, let's get, get into where, what's happening here. His entire workforce has just asked off for a six-day period of time. The entire workforce of, of Pharaoh has just requested six days off. Three days out, three days back. That's a lot of work undone. This is a threat to the service of Pharaoh in mass, and not just a threat to his service, but also a threat to his allegiance, a threat to his allegiance. The belief of Moses and Aaron have just collided with the unbelief of Pharaoh. Just collided. And for us, this is a perfect picture today of the follower of God in the world, isn't it? Belief and unbelief colliding. This is what I believe. I believe in this God. This is who God is. This is the way He's asked me to live. This is what I believe about who God is. And then, and then you've got over here, I, I don't even know that God. Who, who are you talking about? Just carry on with life, please. And you've got belief and unbelief colliding. 
And then what do we continue to see in the next verses? What we continue to see is that unbelief opposes the worship of God. Friends, this is not just a two different world systems colliding. This is unbelief that's opposing the worship of God. It's opposing the worship of God. Belief and unbelief don't just collide. Unbelief is in direct opposition to the worship of God. And so in this very same day, in fear or in anger, or I, I don't know what's happening, but in opposition to be sure, that very same day, Pharaoh changes the understood work agreement. Right? He, he, he gathers the taskmasters and the foremen together and he says, do not give the people any straw to make the bricks um, like you used to do. Like you used to bring them straw. Don't do that anymore. And at the same time, don't ease up. Require the same daily quota. The, the making of bricks was a labor-intensive work. It was a real and exhausting labor-intensive work. In fact, th- there have been found from, from this period of time um, drawings uh, of what this could look like. So this is on the inside of a tomb from this same period of time. These people were working in tormenting heat in the Egyptian desert, digging and mixing and forming and carrying the bricks. It was an, an intense work. And, and it's well known that part of the job was the mixing in of straw to the bricks to help the bricks to be stable and to hold together. This wasn't an optional thing. This wasn't something that OSHA demanded of them, but wasn't really needed. No, this was something that they had to do for the bricks to be held together. This wasn't optional. It was a main ingredient in the stability of the bricks and Pharaoh told the taskmasters and the foreman they cannot they, they can go out and, and in the fields and find their own straw but they still have to do the same amount of work now listen that's an absurd request from Pharaoh it's an absurd request because the people were commanded to make a certain number of bricks there, there have been studies found and logs found from this time period that that they were required to make uh, anywhere between a thousand and two thousand bricks a person a day and they were not given the proper tools to do the work. And so you can imagine. But, but boss, we, we need straw to make these bricks. Y- yeah, you do. So what are you waiting on? Go find that straw. But, but boss, we, we don't know where to get the straw. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in the desert. The, the, the Egyptians are the ones who have the straw because they have, they have the ability to grow that and, and, and harvest it and, and all of that. Well, well, good luck. Time is ticking. Pharaoh continues on with the taskmasters and the foremen, and, and he says they're idle, they're lazy, they're more concerned about crying to me uh, to get some time away to go worship their God. Don't listen to their lies. Work them into the ground. And so we're told in verse 10 that the taskmasters and the foremen went to the people to tell them of this new work arrangement and told them to go find the straw on their own, but the quota for the day would be the same, so get to work. Well, of course, uh, we see this, right? This is an impossible task, which is exactly what Pharaoh knew would happen. This is exactly what Pharaoh knew would happen. 
Pharaoh knew this would be impossible, and he knew that it was going to be um, strenuous labor, even more so than, than what they had going on, but he didn't care about this, uh, this obedience to, to God. Unbelief was there in Pharaoh's heart. It was Pharaoh's unbelief that, that in this case kept the people then from worshiping God. Unbelief opposes the worship of God. Isn't that what's at stake here? Isn't that what's at stake? Think about this. The, the unbelief of Pharaoh is in opposition to the worship of God. The, the worship of God is what is at stake. We, we can't simply see this as a bad employer not treating his employee well. Yeah, too bad for these people. They didn't have great work conditions. Pharaoh has been confronted with the commands of the God to let these people go to worship this God. And in unbelief of God, Pharaoh opposes the worship of God. Pharaoh does not believe in the God. The problem of his unbelief is not only that it's pulling him away from believing. His problem is not that he, he doesn't believe necessarily. His problem is that his unbelief is pulling him away from the worship of God. And in that, he is directly opposing the worship of God himself and for the people of God. Unbelief opposes the worship of God in all kinds of ways. And so for, uh, for those of us who believe in God and have a desire to follow Him, this ought to be of primary concern to us for the, for the people of those, uh, those around us who do not yet believe. Think about this. We've got to remember that the problem of unbelief is that it's pulling people away from the worship of God. Does that, does that change the way you pray for those who maybe do not yet know God? God, I pray that they would believe. I pray that they would believe. I pray that you'd give them faith. It's a good and right prayer that we're commanded to do that. But the point of that is so that they would worship God. We've got to remember that the problem of, of unbelief is that it's pulling people away from the worship of God. The goal is not arguing a strong case for the existence of God as an end. Our aim must be to give a compelling reason for belief in God with the end goal of that being the worship of God. The, the, the goal is not simply more converts to our team. The goal is more people worshiping God. Where, where that doesn't exist, we ought to be praying that God would change our hearts and the hearts of those who do not yet believe. Unbelief stands in direct opposition to the worship of God. Unbelief is not the chief problem. Not worshiping God is. I know that may be splitting hairs, but, but worshiping God is the point of what is happening here. And so what do we see? What we see is this. Unbelief leads us then to misdirected requests. Let me show what that looks like. The, the foremen for this brick-making project have been beaten for not keeping up with the unrealistic expectation of an unreachable quota. They've been beaten, they've been persecuted, they've been mistreated. Their difficult lives have become increasingly more difficult. Increasingly more difficult than they were, if not impossible to sustain. When things can't seem to get worse, they get doubly worse. The people are in desperate need of help, of redemption, of freedom from this excruciating hell of slavery. 
And while we may not ever be able to understand what they're facing, each of us has certainly faced our own painful realities in this life. True? We've faced brokenness and the effects of sin. We've seen and experienced sickness. We've seen and experienced loss of relationship. We've waded through the muck of loss and brokenness and sadness and pain. And to some extent, we can relate with the people. We can. You may be in a place right now where you're feeling that pain immensely. And what often happens when we're in a place of so much pain is what? We begin at times to move toward unbelief that God is who He says He is. Really, God? This is what's going on? This is what you're going to put me through? We move toward unbelief, and unbelief often leads to then misdirected requests or misdirected hope. Verse 15, we see the foremen of the people of Israel, the very ones who have just been beaten for not accomplishing an impossible quota of making bricks. They've just been harshly treated and they run to Pharaoh. They run to Pharaoh and they cry out to Pharaoh. And three times over they say to Pharaoh, we are your servants. Pharaoh, we are your servants. The point is you are the one we look to as our authority. We are in submission to you as your servants. If that's who we are, your servants, then why are you treating us, your servants, like this? Why are you not giving us straw? Why are you beating us? We're your servants, Pharaoh. You see what's happened? The people of God who are being treated harshly have begun to waver in their belief. And their unbelief leads them to misdirected requests based on misdirected hope. They want out of this situation, so they go there. They don't run to God and cry out to God. It's as if they didn't believe God would actually do anything, but maybe Pharaoh will. Maybe he'll do something. They went to the problem and not to the God who would be with them in their problems. They went to the source of the problem to try to, to get a fix. And we relate to that, don't we? It, it, if this is how things are going to go, God, if this is the way things are going to go, and it doesn't seem as if you care, then I guess I'm going to have to fix these problems myself. I need to get out of this situation, and, and, and so I'm going to go do what I need to do to get out of this mess. I'm going to go to the source of the problem and try to fix this problem. And we begin to separate the troubles of this life from the God who hears us. Unbelief leads us to misdirected requests primarily because of misdirected hope. And the problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping God. And we're moving in, in the wrong direction. In our troubles, when we don't believe that God is who He says He is, we redirect our focus and attention away from God and His worthiness of worship toward what we think is best. This is a worship problem. Our attention, our hope, our cries for help are misdirected. And so over and over and over, we can go to the Psalms, and those Psalms can be an encouragement to us because they are littered with examples of pain and of suffering and of hardship and of fear and of doubt. And all of that being directed 
to the one who is our help. Over and over, I cry out to the Lord. I call to you and you are my help. I, I cry out to you and you answer me. Over and over and over again, we read the appropriately directed pleading with God. Paul talks about this too in the New Testament in Philippians. Paul's probably writing the book of Philippians, the letter to the, the church of Philippi from jail, having suffered harsh treatment, being thrown in jail. And what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, try to figure out how to get out of this situation. Is that what he says? No. In everything, let your requests be made known to God. In our anxiety, in our pain, in our struggle, as Paul would say, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. In our unbelief, our requests are often misdirected. Our, our prayer, our hope, our attention, our pleading must be directed to the one who hears answers and promises listen friends promises to be with us he's already promised moses that he's shown himself to be with him that's what they just worshiped god for right because he had come to be with them we're told that the beaten foreman met up with moses and aaron and complained to them that this is your fault Moses and Aaron, this is your fault that now we have a bad reputation with Pharaoh. You've made us look bad in front of Pharaoh. It's your fault. Now we stink to him. Even in that, we see the foreman approaching Moses and Aaron with their fears and complaints. They're approaching still the wrong person. We're in a mess facing extreme difficulty in some situation and we go to someone else to talk to them about it, complain to them about it, to, to, to talk to them about our problems. Still, our attention is misdirected, isn't it? It's misdirected. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from looking to the one who is with us, who cares for us, who, who is for us. Our unbelief pulls us away from worshiping God. And when Moses hears what's going on, when Moses hears what's going on and hears the, the accusations from his own people, he's forced to consider what's happening. He's forced to consider what is going on. He's forced to consider what he truly believes, isn't he? He's probably feeling some of the burden of his people. He's probably taking on now some of the re responsibility of their harsh treatment. He's probably feeling like it's his fault that they're now in this mess. Wouldn't you be feeling that way? I've just come to talk to Pharaoh to try to get the, the people out of this mess. I know, I know that God is with us and now this is what's going on. That, that's me. That's on me. We, we would be feeling that way. Moses is forced to consider what he truly believes. And, and in Moses, we begin to see unbelief. Again, in verse 22, Moses turns to the Lord. At least he directs his prayer to the right person. He turns and directs his prayer to God. What, uh, what may have been belief in the opening verses of chapter 5 begins now to be slipping into unbelief. Uh, unbelief, the, the same kind of unbelief that we saw of Moses at the, at the burning bush. Moses says to God, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to your people? Why have you done evil to your people. The, the people are being treated harshly and this is your fault, God. 
You don't have good in mind for your people. In fact, you're doing evil to your people. And then questions begin to form. The questions in the form of, I told you so, God. At the end of verse 22, God, why did you ever send me? Don't you think he's going back to what he said in chapter 4, verse 13? Well, why did you send me? I told you that this wasn't a good idea to, to send someone else because I, I wasn't your guy. I told you so. Why did you ever send me? Since I came to Pharaoh on your behalf, God, he's done evil to your people. So Moses approaches God in prayer and he's equating, I don't know if this is something you caught, he's equating the work of God with the work of Pharaoh. You've both, you've both done evil. Moses is wrestling now with unbelief. And his unbelief misunderstands God's plan. It has been God's plan all along to send him to Pharaoh to use Moses in the process of redeeming his people. This is why Moses was saved out of the water in the first place as a baby. This is why Moses was saved from the hand of Pharaoh 40 years previous. This is why he was saved from God's hand in the wilderness when Zipporah circumcised their son. God has a plan, and that plan includes Moses being used by God to redeem and to save his people in his unbelief he misunderstands the plan of God. Why did you ever send me to deliver your people? Your plan isn't working. You've not delivered your people at all. Your plan's a miserable failure, God. Unbelief misunderstands God's plan in part because we believe we have a better plan. True? We believe we have a better plan. And in thinking we have a better plan, the focus is on me. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from the worship of God because we're too busy worshiping self. The problem of unbelief is not that it pulls us away from belief only. Unbelief is a problem of worship. When we do not believe God is God, we believe we are. And the worship that is meant to be directed only at Him is then redirected to us. And reading through, studying through, looking through Exodus 5, we see belief and unbelief colliding. And we can relate, can't we? This is the Christian life. It's the Christian life. Belief constantly battling unbelief. We believe there is a God, and at times we believe He is who He says He is, especially when things are going our way. Uh, but there are also times that we don't understand His plan, and in not understanding His plan, we make assumptions that His plan is not good and not loving, because we don't understand. It's not good, it's not loving. In not understanding His plan, our belief in God shifts to unbelief, and our unbelief moves us away from worshiping that same God. We've all been there. When we face trying times we often run to scripture and that's good we, we run to scripture and we, we run to those verses we know about God's plan for us verses that are that are often well known we go to places like Romans 8 28 it says uh, we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose we read that uh, in, in an attempt to be comforted we read that and we say really 
this is good? Really, God, this is what you are perfectly working together for good? This is it? You, you've called me to yourself for, the purpose, for your purposes, and this is what you are saying is good? But we can't believe it, and our unbelief misunderstands the plans of God because we think His plans need to fit our view of good. We seem to forget altogether that we are never promised our view of good. Ever. If I receive my view of good, then odds are my focus would be on me and serving me. And my dependence on, on my worship of God would diminish more and more and more and more. My dependence on God and my worship of God would diminish. The problem of unbelief is that it pulls us away from worshiping the one who defines what is good according to his purpose. Where do we go? When our unbelief is confronted, when, when, it's, when our belief is confronted with unbelief, where do we go? We've got to run to God. We've got to run to God to battle in prayer that God would help us believe. This truth has got to overwhelm us. The truth that Paul then goes to right after this. Do you know what that is? Right after this, this truth has got to overwhelm us. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? I like to read it this way. <laughs> what are we supposed to say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or loss of job, broken relationships, fear, doubt, anxiety. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, friends, our hope in this life cannot be in the elimination of our trials. But in the presence of our trials, our hope must be that there is a God who has a plan and that that God is worthy of our belief and deep trust. And more than that, he's worthy of our worship. Do we believe that? Let's pray that we would. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. It's challenging at times to read and understand that you are still in control. It's challenging at times because it points us to our own unbelief. It's challenging at times because we read it and we think, well, we've got problems too. It's challenging at times because it really reveals to us our own issues, 
of pushing away from you and your worship. And so I pray this morning that as we consider what it looks like to, to move toward belief, but not belief as an end, belief that's pushing us more and more to see your worthiness and, and, and then that, that our words and songs and, and lives would resound in worship to you. I pray that you would be moving us in that direction where we don't have the strength, ability, or faith to do it. We need your help. And God, if there are people in this room right now who are considering what it looks like to have faith in Christ or what it looks like to to believe that a God exists who loves them, I pray that you would be at work softening hearts, drawing hearts to yourself. That is a work that you do. You are a God of salvation. This is your story of redemption unfolding. Would you do that work? Even this morning, we pray. Amen.